Now, one of the things that uh, I've been reflecting on, um, especially in the light of this lockdown, is how uh, something as innocuous as as simple and invisible as a as a virus, um, a single cellular organism, to draw from my biological background, how can something as innocuous as this disrupt life for the most powerful creature, both individually and collectively, on the face of the earth? Uh, and that thought, the more I kept thinking about it, the more I reflected on it and the more uh, I dwelt with on the consequences that we are now facing because of the different things that are unfolding uh, in the light of the COVID-19 outbreak. It was very humbling. It was very humbling from multiple perspectives. It's a humbling uh, thought from the perspective of how frail we human beings are. Uh, and it was also humbling from the perspective of how simple-minded we sometimes can be when we think of how invisible, invincible we are. Now, the reason I'm raising all of these things and I want us to consider this is because this particular event, I mean, a lot of people are using the word unprecedented to describe what we're going through. Uh, and that is true. No one alive on the planet today has seen anything like this uh, in its range or scale. Uh, and the helplessness, you know, it's literally uh, humanity is brought down to her knees by this crisis. Why? Uh, it is causing us to pause and recalibrate, uh, recalibrate and ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be human? And what are we to make of our lives? Those are the big picture questions that I've been grappling with as I was started writing. And as I, as I, as I mentioned, that I've been writing a whole series of articles on this theme of hope. Uh, what does it mean to be a Christian in a situation like this? And does the gospel of Jesus Christ actually speak meaningfully into our context, into our situation. Why? And so I've been reflecting on this in multiple perspectives and all the while uh, being challenged by this, this thought that no matter what we are saying and doing today, it's literally like a drop in the ocean. I don't know if we realized it. Every effort, in fact, our collective effort as human beings, our collective global effort, is but a drop in the ocean. And so we are faced with a situation where we are brought to a grinding halt uh, by the crisis that we face, and yet we find the need for us to step up, to press on, to move forward. How do we do this? Right? And so the first thing I began to think about is this deep need for us to recalibrate. And that's why I find the message of the cross and the hope that is in many ways central to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, such a valuable thing for us to rediscover. Now, I'm guessing I'm speaking to uh, all, if not all, at least most uh, in this group who are uh, Christians and who affirm that 
faith in Jesus Christ is both for this life and for the life to come. That the work of Christ on the cross is the finished work of God on human behalf, as Paul would write in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2, where he would simply say that uh, because we are justified by Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through the work of Christ on the cross. So in many ways, we have all these bold declarations, but at the same time, it calls for what I would call uh, a humble disposition towards recovering what it means to be people who truly understand what God is about and where we are headed in the light of who he is. So that's what I want to speak to us uh, this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm trying my best not to repeat myself in the articles uh, that have already been written and published. Uh, I mean, if you want to the, the website address to it or the link to it, uh, you can either reach out to Isaiah or to me and we can have them uh, given to you. But I'm trying, I, I, I want to bring those ideas together and uh, in, in, in probably 15, 20 minutes, present something to us in terms of uh, taking a fresh look at what it truly means to know God, know ourselves, know our situation, and then know how to live today in the light of for, forever. Just what this means for us. And then, you know, uh, have you all raise questions and respond to that. Because you see, the one thing we appreciate about being in a predicament, being in a spot of bother, being in a place where you need help, the one thing you'll appreciate when you come to that point of crisis is that information is inadequate. That's the first thing we need to appreciate, that information alone is inadequate. And I was recently doing uh, an Easter uh, series, uh, Facebook Live with my colleague, Dan Patterson from Australia. And uh, we were chatting about the resurrection and why the resurrection allows us this privilege of present and continued hope. Uh, one thing I was saying to Dan in that uh, interaction was that uh, if you look at the first disciples who went and saw the empty tomb, you can look at Mary. Uh, she went there and she saw the stone was rolled away and uh, she knew the body wasn't there, right? Then you can look at Peter and John. They went and they saw the empty tomb. In fact, they saw the, the linen that was rolled up and kept. You can look at Thomas. Uh, he was told by people that he had every reason to trust that Jesus is not dead. He is risen. And you see, having information alone did not help them. You know, Mary had the, all the information, uh, but she was blinded by her own grief. Peter and John, they saw with their own eyes that the tomb was empty. The cloth which was used to wrap Jesus' body was now nicely rolled up and kept, but they couldn't quite appreciate, comprehend what they had. And that, that brought them away from the tomb with disappointment. Not, I mean, they were not leaping for joy. Thomas, uh, having all the information was not good enough. And that's what we need to first appreciate when we find ourselves in a spot of bother, that information alone is inadequate. Because human predicament demands presence, not just information. 
And if you think about it, and if you paused long enough to appreciate the truth of the risen Jesus Christ, you will see why his last words to the disciples, and I will be with you even to the ends of the earth, is, is such a powerful uh, assurance for us. You see, the Christian hope is not wishful thinking. And I make a distinction of it this way. I say wishful thinking is wishing our troubles away and that when the sun rises tomorrow, it'll be a better day. That's wishful thinking. Hope, on the other hand, does not dismiss our troubles. It deals with it. Hope does not ignore the present problems. Well, just because we have hope, it does not mean our problems will disappear. Right? That's what wishful thinking puts uh, gives to us. That's where wishful thinking brings us. But hope, on the other hand, gives us the strength, the courage, the reason, and what's most important, the hand to hold in that we are able to navigate through our present into the future, into the tomorrow, where the promise of a good day is going to be fulfilled. And that's what I want us to grapple with. Because see, the thing about our predicament is that we want it to change. But that's also why many of us will end up being disappointed. And some of us uh, will basically wring our hands and say, this is just pointless. And God forbid, a few others might go from saying this is just pointless and go from hopelessness and disappointment uh, to depression. See, that's, that's the slippery slope of, of just clinging on to information as opposed to being held by the hands of a living Savior. It is not just good enough to know that Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm saying this because we're just a, a few days since Easter, but it is important for us to appreciate, to experience that he is holding our hand. Which brings me to the next big uh, idea or theme that we need to hold on to. And this, by the way, is still uh, virtue of introduction and in many ways a synthesis of the things that I've already written and put out for us there. It brings us to a place where we need to nurture a posture of trust. Right? It's not only good enough to know God, but it is important that we nurture a posture of trust. And the one thing we must avoid as we nurture a posture of trust is to assume that trust will change everything immediately. Right? I'm, I'm part of what I say uh, in the article I write is I, I look at G Peter's journey with Jesus as he was in the boat uh, that is Peter and the disciples and they were going across the lake and Jesus was not in the boat, right? Uh, and there's the storm that was threatening to capsize the boat. And so as they were going, Jesus kind of now walks on water and he's getting to the boat, right? Uh, and they're terrified to see this human-like figure uh, on water, and they, uh, uh, they start screaming, and Jesus says, do not be afraid, it's I, 
And this is very interesting conversation that happens. The moment Peter recognizes that it is Jesus, he says to Jesus, if it is truly you, then ask me to step onto the water and walk. Now, I have no idea why Peter asked for that kind of evidence that this was Jesus. He was literally saying, uh, if it is really you, Jesus, in the midst of uh, the storm that we are going through, take me to the eye of the storm. That I don't think is a common request. I mean, none of us uh, have that kind of uh, courage or foolhardiness. I don't know how you want to put it. Uh, but that's what Peter was asking. If it was you, uh, really, Jesus asked me to walk on water. And Jesus says, yeah, uh, well, uh, it is most certainly I. And if you want to walk on water, just step out of the boat. And he does. Right? And uh, the, the Gospels tell us that Peter... When he saw the winds and the waves around him, he began to sink. Why? Uh, we normally assume that uh, this simply means that as long as Peter had his eyes fixed on Jesus, uh, the winds and the waves didn't matter. Well, in, in, in a manner of speaking, yes. But what I'd like to, for us to remember is this. Peter not only had to trust Jesus enough to step out of the boat, he had to learn to continue to trust Jesus, even though the winds and the waves did not die down. In other words, he not only had need to begin in trust, he had a deep need to nurture trust. Because here's, here's the thing. We often assume that the moment we put our faith in Jesus, the moment we trust him, our circumstances, like the winds and the waves uh, that Peter will found himself in, will change and it will become a still uh, lake. And we can, you know, uh, walk on it as though we are walking uh, in a park. No, that's not true at all. Trusting God does not automatically change our circumstances. Which is why, in as much as information in, is inadequate, beginning our journey with Jesus in trust is also inadequate. We need to learn, as the psalmist would say, as David would say in Psalm 23, we need to learn what it means to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. See, we will never know that Jesus is actually with us, that God takes us by the hand and he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death if we are not prepared to walk through the valley of shadow of death. To merely sit on the sidelines will never teach us how to walk on water. To merely sit in this particular sense, uh, to merely sit on the sidelines and uh, with great devotion and expectation, uh, hold on to hope, expecting that this COVID-19 crisis would kind of literally blow over and things would be back to normal, uh, is just wishful thinking. That's not uh, what a life of faith entails. And, and in many ways, if we do that, we're setting ourselves up for 
either God being irrelevant to us or we becoming indifferent to him. Now which one of us can actually say it doesn't matter what God says or does I'm just going to be uh, I'll just continue praying and I'll just remain devoted to him. I mean in, in theory we might say those things but in reality we know that our hearts will be shaped by our posture right and our posture is many ways will be shaped by God's response and more importantly by how we internalize we appreciate God's response and so if we are not careful launching out in trust without the intention to learn what it takes or and grow in trust because God is trustworthy and that's that's the key appreciating the difference between uh, why we trust God whether we trust him for what he does or we trust him for who he is now granted the two need not be separate they are not mutually exclusive who he is and who he does come together but it's important for us because we do not know God exhaustively nor do we understand everything he does fully and so we have to be careful if we don't nurture trust in this predicament that we are in then we are either going to go down the road where God becomes increasingly irrelevant to us and our situation and we become progressively indifferent to God and his doing and so that that leads me to the third and possibly the, the core uh, thing of what I would like to share to us uh, today for us to think about and that is this a predicament not only demands presence and it requires trust and in that sense it calls for us to be on our knees and in in that posture of prayer but our predicament challenges us to redefine what we know about who we are and our pursuits in life now all of us we are we are working and we know that we are not working for the sake of working we're working uh, because our work is a means to something much larger but you see therein lies the question that we need to think about afresh because we are devoted to anything we deem worthy that's 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 the fact about us being human beings we will only be devoted to that which we deem worthy of our devotion we'll be dedicated to what we deem worthwhile right take take a very simple thing as friendships our friendships are not equal it's, in other words we we're not the same kind of friend we we all have a plenty of friends but we're not the same kind of friend to everybody and that tells us a lot about who we are why so the predicament that we are we find ourselves is calling for and challenging that we redefine a lot of things first and foremost we redefine what it means uh, for us to be human secondly it's calling for a redefinition 
of uh, what living the good life means or what a good life is and what living the good life means third it calls for a redefinition of how we might pursue that uh, that good life because the thing about us as humans is we find ourselves hopelessly lost when we cannot control the outcome of our pursuits isn't that true it affects us badly I mean think about it why do you do what you do one of the reasons we give or one of the reasons we do what we do whether we state it or not one of the reasons we do whatever we do is so that we can attain the outcome of what we have set out to so being devoted to something dedicated to something and the being able to control the outcome of that thing are deeply intertwined which is why today one of the biggest challenges we will face I mean the, I, I firmly believe that this crisis COVID-19 crisis the way it is that we are facing it today is kind of the primary strand or the primary uh, current that we see is a medical crisis now underlying that crisis is a much stronger current which is economic crisis and what we don't see yet but it is going to come underlying that economic crisis will be a much stronger current than either the medical or the economic which is going to be the psychological and the communal crisis that's going to come through and you see with every step as you keep going deeper and deeper you will begin to realize that we have less and less control over the outcome and and we will get to a place where uh, it's only a matter of time before we're going to be oscillating between disappointment on one end and depression on the other which calls us to reevaluate how do we even live our lives and if we don't do this now you know we will we will fail miserably thing about crisis of being prepared for a crisis is that you never prepare for a crisis in the crisis you always do it before how prepared you are will be revealed when you go through crisis and it tells us globally we are not prepared very well for a medical crisis uh, most certainly we are struggling to deal with the economic crisis but you see as we are going through this difficulty this is also a season for us to prepare for a crisis that is going to come a challenge that's going to come which is the crisis of how do we deal with a fellow human being what do we actually value in our lives what is worth living living for and how might we live it because you see it's not only important to do the right thing it is also important to know and do the right thing the right way and that is what I think we will need to deal with because you see it's only a matter of time because before what we had faced with today the challenge that we are faced with compels us to redefine what it means to be human and to live the good life and that redefinition will compel us to change or at least choose to change 
And so here's some of the things that I'd like to share with us or talk, tell, talk to us about in the last, you know, I'm just going to take another five uh, or seven minutes and then I'm going to open it up for questions. The first thing that this is going to call us to do, compel us even to do, is that it is going to compel us to re-evaluate for ourselves what it means to be human. Who do we actually think we are? Because truth be told, our life as it is today is revolving predominantly around what we acquire or what we accomplish or what we are applauded for. And all of that is right now up in the air. So what is it about us human beings? Who are we really? And there is a clue in the crisis we are going through. You know, the one thing that we begin to appreciate whole, uh, in its longing and its problem is that we are deeply relational creatures. And that's precisely why this, uh, whether you call it circuit breaker as you're doing it in Singapore, or I call it lockdown uh, as you're doing it in India, is, is affecting a lot of us. And as we look at that predicament, you begin to see our response to it is primarily self-preservation. And once that self-preservation is kind of taken care of, or once we see how ridiculous self-preservation is in the act of another, we start thinking about how do we care for the other person? Right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not so much criticizing what we do, but I'm saying use the opportunity to reflect. Because how we responded uh, to the crisis, whether it's panic buying or whether it is, uh, you know, uh, saying that, you know, things should have been done better or uh, applauding or criticizing. I mean, all that is what I would call uh, first response, knee-jerk reaction, if you want to use that phrase. But you see, as human beings, we are not just people, we're not just meant to be people or creatures who react. We are meant to be responsive because we are responsible. And to be able to respond, we need to reflect. We need to pause and ask ourselves a question. What do we really think we are? Because if all there is to our lives, if, if acquiring, accomplishing, being applauded, if that's all there is to our lives, you know what will happen after the circuit breaker has been lifted or after the lockdown has been lifted and things get back to normal? we will still be a very, very self-preserving lot. Our economic policies will be uh, shaped by how can we preserve ourselves. Our, our own work and our lives will revolve around how can we uh, you know, make sure that we are further and further insulated. And we will suppress, even ignore, the other side of what we saw just now in ourselves and those around us in terms of how ridiculous it is to be someone that's concerned only about self-preservation. 
Because you see, if human beings are primarily relational, then relationships are not nurtured by being self-preservation, by, by pursuing self-preservation. Relationships are nurtured by being self-giving. So that's the first question. Uh, what do we think we are? And on the heels of that first question, it's literally the first question is dragging this in, is what, what, what will it take, uh, what does it mean uh, to pursue the good life? What is good life and what is it, uh, what will it take to pursue good life? And you see, that's where the rubber meets the road. Because yes, we can say we are creatures created in love for love and and uh, love is what makes the world go around and we are communal creatures we could say all of this but how does the rubber meet the road is it in love and that's where the antidote to self-preservation is self-giving love that's what you find jesus do on the cross that's what he, he did when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as John would say, we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. That's at the heart of what Jesus was saying. And I will be with you even to the end of the age. You see, love uh, is a very attractive and, in fact, free thing for the one receiving it but it's a very, very costly thing to the one giving it. It's going to cost us everything. And so my challenge to us as we appreciate what it means to be gripped by hope is very simply this. Are we willing to take a step back and reevaluate what it means for us to be human? to reconsider how we might actually live as human beings without losing our humanity. Because I am of the firm opinion that every choice made that is self-seeking and self-serving uh, adds, up, adds up to the cause of self-preservation is a choice that takes away from us being truly human. And they are what goes along two divergent paths, as it were. And at the core of every step we take, or what helps us take every step, is our choice. And that's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, uh, and when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, that kind of a posture teaches us to nurture continued trust. It takes away from us the, the deep angst and loss we feel when we can't control. It takes away from us the agony of, uh, of, of being at a loss and the, the penchant for manipulating outcome. In other words, it restores us, it gives to us the liberty of truly being free. 
And that's why Paul would say to us that because of the cross, we have peace with God. He's not talking about something that we feel. He's not saying this is true only if you feel it. But what he's actually saying is that because of the cross and the restoration that God has reconciled us to himself, the world to himself, we actually have a fresh start. And this COVID-19 crisis is giving us the opportunity to recalibrate. And my encouragement to us, uh, and I close with this in the words of Apostle Paul, is when he says, and in Jesus we are a new creation, the old is past, we're all made new, is this, where he says, we implore you, as a God is making his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. In other words, be restored to who you really are in Jesus Christ, because God made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we will be the righteousness of God. We will be truly human beings, not a self-seeking, self-serving, self-preserving something, but creatures created in love by a God of love, for love, who actually rule over everything, because that's what the new life in Jesus Christ has to offer us. I'm going to stop with that, and thank you so much for being patient and giving me a hearing, and I'm happy to you know, take some questions from you as it comes by.